I need to know everything Who and the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you'll be surprised At the info you get Is by letting them talk Hey everyone I'm Ashley Asty, And I'm curious Aren't you? I'm Curious Podcast Brings the unfamiliar closer I'm telling stories and sharing conversations with people who remind us that love demands we move toward justice and that we're all connected. This opening music is called Curious George by Nate Rose. All right, let's get to it. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, there's five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now they ain't go harder than me. I haven't stopped thinking about this conversation that I had with Marina Yanai Triner ever since it was a few months ago that we spoke. But we spoke about this idea of capacity or bandwidth to feel big emotions and handle hard things in your life. And it's changed the way I see my world ever since then. Marina has a really fascinating story and we go back to her roots, her ancestors and explore that and how that has shaped her life. She also has just a really wonderful and inviting personality. Marina is a compassionate somatic coach. She works with people who feel disengaged with life or burnt out and checked out to support them in experiencing more joy and aliveness in their lives. As a trauma-informed coach, she works with clients to go deep to the roots of behavioral patterns that hold them back from experiencing life to its fullest, looking at childhood-rooted beliefs, emotions, behavioral patterns, and the unconscious to create massive transformation. Marina forms a powerful and deep partnership with her clients in which they use body-based somatic approaches to support a connection back to the body, strengthen their connection with their instincts and intuition, and flourish. And I think that was one of the things that drew me to her, this realization that healing trauma or, or facing trauma begins with the body or work needs to happen with the body too. I just really found this conversation moving and empowering and interesting and I hope it touches you too so let's get into it I was saying just before we got started that I'm eager to dive in I just gave you like a little hello because I'm like I'm so I feel like this is going to be a rich and juicy conversation so I'm excited to share it with you and thanks for being here yeah thanks for having me here my pleasure um I actually want to start this conversation at your beginnings, or I guess even even further back than that, to to your ancestors, because I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you were born in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. and then moved to Israel when you were really young, a toddler. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious where you come from, the places and the people that shape who you are. Yeah, that's a great question, because that I think impacts a lot of my work, and also for people just exploring your roots. Um, It's really huge. So I know nothing about (laughs) the place where I come from, interestingly, because my family really was not a fan and they wanted to leave as quickly as possible. Um, And they don't want to visit like whenever I'm like, because I was two when I left. So I have no memories of it um, in my explicit, you know, cognitive memory. But interestingly, I have a lot of body memories from Mm. that time. For example, I love being in the forest. Like there's literally nothing I love more. And when I was talking to my mom about it, she was like, oh yeah, I would take you like every single day when you were a baby to the forest. So yeah, so that's how our nervous system works. We remember things on a body level. So my grandma was born in a labor camp in the Holocaust. Mm. And when she was, I think she was two, and it was like a day after the camp was liberated, her mother died of typhus. And it's so, yeah, it's so tragic. And it really shaped her life very much and her like belief system and how she sees the world. And I feel like that really, you know, passed down to me also like the fear of being hungry and not having money and all these different things that are so 
not in line with life right now, which is mm. just fascinating, you know, how they come to play, um, even though it's like not my life experience, but it's, it's hers. So yeah, so we uh, lived in Ukraine for two years, and then my family just wanted to get out as quickly as mm. possible. And it was communist at the time. So like the stories are just crazy, like standing in line for bread and just not having anything really available. Um, it's such a stark like comparison and contrast to our life right now. It's like crazy. And so they, the moment that the borders were opened, they moved to Israel because Israel was taking the Jews. And so they were like, okay, we're just going to go. And they had no plan apparently, which I didn't even know. They had no plan. They got there, they got to the airport, they got a free like van to take them wherever they wanted. And they didn't really know anyone besides like my grandpa's friend from school. I mean, <laughs> just basically no one. So they ended up getting dropped off on the street and just standing there with all wow. of their luggage and just being like, okay, nowhere to go. You know, I can't even imagine like the amount of stress. And apparently I was screaming. I was like really embarrassing my parents on the flight because I was screaming devils to everyone. Mm. I, you probably felt the energy of everything that was happening. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think I was so stressed out and I, and I was screaming, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to oh, go home. Yeah. So sad. And then when we ended up on that street, so they were just like standing there. And my mom told me the story because we were like talking about really good people. Like, are there really good people? Which I believe, mm -hmm. yes, my family struggles with. And then my mom was like, I only knew one angel of a person. And that's Esther. And I'm like, who's Esther? So my mom basically told me the story of how they were standing on the street. And then Esther came out of her apartment. She's been living there for, I think, 10, 20 years, 10 years, maybe. And so she came out on the street, saw us, like didn't know us at all, but spoke Russian like she was also, I think she was also Ukrainian. And she left earlier because there was always like windows in communist mm you know, Russia or U USSR, where you could just like escape. And she took the opportunity, I guess, earlier. And so she saw us and she took all of us in. So me, oh. my parents and my two grandparents. Wow. What a woman. I know it's so amazing. And as I like integrate that story, the first thing that stood out to me was just this like image or feeling in my body of like, standing on that street not knowing where to go but now it's her you know like mm. her kindness and her compassion and so we ended up staying there in the beginning I think for a few days but then we went back to our house because the house that we got had like no windows and doors mm. and so we tried to find something else but there was like a gap of a month that we stayed with uh. her insane and, and I just feel like I can't even imagine being your parents and doing this, like taking, this is bigger than a leap. Like I think about moments in my life where I've had to leap or, you know, summon a little bit of courage, but this is completely leaving a whole way of life and being behind to enter something that's so unknown. I just, I'm trying to like fathom it in my body or understand it. It's insane. I, yeah, I can't even, cause they did it twice. Then they moved to the U S and my mom was like, so they brought all their furniture on like, you know, obviously on a ship, but my mom was like, this was such a risk. And I was like, why? And she's like, oh, because we didn't know if we would stay. Wow. We, we had no idea. And I'm like, you just keep doing this thing. You know? yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's so crazy. And, and interestingly for me, like I hate moving. I hate it. I feel so stressed, but wherever you put me, you can put me Anywhere in the world, I swear I'll survive because I just have that adaptability, I guess, yeah. I have to, you know. But it must have felt destabilizing. I mean, as a toddler, you're screaming devils because you're feeling the energy of what's happening. And then when you moved to the United States, how old were you? Because I feel like when you're, I don't know, were you a teen and your, your childhood years, that's got to be very unsettling. Mm -hmm. I was 12. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. In the middle in the middle of the grade so like it wasn't the end of the year it wasn't the beginning of the year it was like two months left and uh, <laughs> I think seventh grade yeah 
two months left of seventh grade. And I was like, no, don't do this to me. It was so, I hated my parents. I literally didn't talk to them for a year. Like I was Mm. so angry, but yeah, I mean, it was very hard. It was very, very hard. And I also felt like I never fit in also in Israel as the one like Ukrainian kid, not the one, but one of the few. And that year specifically, I felt like I started to actually make my way and like Mm -hmm. have more friends. And then my parents were like, okay, we're moving, you know? So yeah, it was, it was, I, I think, I mean, I just kind of got used to that story and that, you know, it's, it's my life story. But as I think back on it more and more, it was like such a traumatic thing that, Mm. Um, definitely affects my life for sure and even when I was two like both of those moving is just traumatic it really is and especially when it's not of your own choice and you're a child and you you're not in control and you don't get to wrap your mind around it in the same way as the adults that are making the choice but I want to go back even a little bit more you were talking about I guess some of these stories that we carry in our bodies but also I'm imagining the stories from your grandmother even around her relationship to food standing on a bread line or her relationship to money. Have you noticed as you've gotten older that you had to sort of disengage from those stories and realize, oh, wait, those are not mine? Mm, I'm very much engaged with those stories. (laughs) (laughs) I literally was talking to my coach this morning and she's like, so where do you overspend, underspend and like normal spend, you know? And it's so interesting. I, I mean, I've known this for a while. I am like, I compulsively spend on food and it's like really hard for me. And like clothes, I buy like three, four times a year. I don't care. Like anything. I don't care about anything besides, besides food. And actually, so my grandma, when she was 13 years old, she, her dad remarried, I mean, years before that, but she was like sent away to school at 13, which when you think about it, she was like mm. so small and they gave her a little bit of money and she spent all of it on clothes and she starved. She literally starved uh. and she ended up in the hospital and she thought she was dying because she's little, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, she thought she was dying and she wrote like a goodbye note because she was there by herself. Oh, in the hospital. heartbreaking. It's so sad. And now I get why I compulsively spend money on food. And it's like, I know that I'm overspending, but I like can't stop. And my partner is always like, Marina, we don't need this and this and this. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, we do. What if we, we need it? I'm telling you, we need it. It's just something, you know, that I'm, that I still work on, but I definitely can feel that sense of trauma-driven spending like it's not you know that's what I wanted to ask so generational trauma it's I guess it's a real thing right we can carry things you're you're nodding your head okay yes absolutely when your mother is born she already has the eggs inside of her that are going to make you Mm. So that's like fascinating, right? Because she basically carries like your DNA. I'm not a super scientist, but um, if you want to dive into this fascinating topic, read um, It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin. It's one of my favorite books. And he like cites all the science. And basically, so far of what we know, it goes back three generations. So your parents, their parents, and their parents. That's, that's quite a line though. I feel like yeah. carrying a lot in that, that span. Um, I'm sure we'll be coming back to your life throughout this and sort of weaving it in. I just want to get a little bit of a foundation, but one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about today is we met through a mutual friend, uh, Artie Gonzalez. And I saw even recently you had a great uh, conversation publicly with him. I saw stuff on Instagram. Um, and in, I think it was in that conversation that I heard you mention that, I guess at some point you ended up going back to Israel and working at a rape crisis center. And you said that you, during that time, you got to visit a prison. I'm wondering what your insights were from visiting prison. Mm. It was very, um, like, it shook me a lot because we visited from the rape crisis center. So interestingly, my partner's dad is a social worker and he works with uh, sexual sexual offenders in Mm -hmm. Israel, sexual offenders and 
like gamblers or I don't know. But anyway, the interesting part is the sexual offenders. And he gets to decide whether to release them or not, which is so crazy. But, you know, from like talking to him and like I was working at the Rape Crisis Center, so it was like really interesting from talking to him. Um, the system there, interestingly, is much more focused on rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And when I visited the, the women's prison, what I saw was like so fascinating how, first of all, all of the guards are social workers. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. <laughs> I know. And they're like women and they're super nurturing. Like that's the energy that I got from them. And the way that like of course my ukrainian communist driven brain is like this is fake it this can't be real (laughs) they're just putting on a show for us but i know in truth it's not like they were like hugging the prisoners they were like you know patting them on the back and i like saw all of this and so it's like a much more nurturing atmosphere that being said the statistics that they like some of them said it's 90% and others were like okay that's the statistics but in reality it's a hundred percent of these women have been sexually assaulted Mm. and so like as I was there I'm like oh my god I'm like in a prison of women like me like because I've been sexually assaulted and just like thinking of that broke my heart like what they put these women in a prison you know like Mm. they should be nurtured back to health and not put in a prison so that was kind of my experience it was very surreal and heartbreaking you mentioned a few things one you were talking about your partner's dad I think is that yeah who's who works with people who have committed sexual offenses and then you shared that you've experienced sexual violence yourself and so I'm wondering how or if you're in the process of making peace with people who have committed these types of offenses. Because I know, or at least I think that you believe that a lot of these people, like you said, um, have been sexually hurt themselves or or wounded in some capacity. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think all of them have been severely traumatized. Um, So when I was working for the rape crisis centers, I was working actually for the association of rape crisis centers. So it was like um, an organization in charge of all the rape crisis centers. And I was also volunteering for the rape crisis centers at school. So I would like do um, education in school where we would like have dialogues and discussions about gender and gender roles and all these different things. And we had an amazing lawyer that was working with us. And she was like, I love the statute of limitations because it actually gets women to get up off their ass and do something. And I was like, no, but it's like so bad because we should always have the right to like go and. And just to clarify the statute of limitations for how long a woman can wait, like a time limit on which she can come forward with charges. Yeah. 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 And so my statute of limitations was up and I was like, okay, I get what she was saying because I was like, okay, I really do want to do something. Like it feels very unfinished. And actually that guy was also moved back to Israel. He was living in the U S when this all happened. And he was actually my boyfriend, my long-term boyfriend. And I found out about this really cool thing called restorative justice, which is, um, really cool that so one of the women from the rape crisis centers was like okay the justice system is so messed up it's not really justice especially because your experience as a survivor within like you know the trial and everything is like of um of uh like side to the like you're you're almost like watching what's happening and that's kind of what happens to you within that trauma so it's like replaying your trauma and it's really terrible And so she started restorative justice, which is this process. It's not obligatory. It's not mandated by a court, but you just sit with the person. Oh, well, first you both for six months, you get to go to their sessions and like talk about it before you meet. And then six months later you meet and you kind of have a justice of your own. And Mm -hmm. I was really excited to do that unfortunately the person said no so like no one can Mm. force to do it and so 
it didn't happen. And I actually ended up going to the police. And that was a really surprisingly positive process for me. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I like just took this huge weight off my shoulders. It was like very healing, but I also had a lot of privilege in that process because I worked for the rape crisis centers. I was very empowered. Like every single employee of the rape crisis centers was like, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about your goals. Cause you know, you're not going to get justice, right? Like, mm. you know, the chances are slim. So I was very emotionally prepared for what's going to happen. And it, of course it didn't go to court, which I was kind of happy because I didn't want to go through that. Um, and, but now, like, I have a very deep understanding that I think the person who did this is responsible for what he did a hundred percent. And that in that situation, you know, I was a victim of his actions and I am totally confident that he's very, very much traumatized, even though I actually don't know the content of his trauma. But I think that if we only like put these people in jail, it's not going to do anything like these people need help. They need a process. They need um, compassion. Doesn't have to come from survivors. It can come from social workers. Right. But it, it has to come in their process of healing. Otherwise we're just like perpetuating more and more trauma and it's really pointless. Yeah. And you know, as you being a survivor, I feel like of course survivors need support and all of that too. I'm, I'm not a survivor. And so in my connections with people who have committed sexual violence, I can sort of um, look at it from a different lens and realize that compassion, but it's not necessarily the survivors who have to be the ones to provide that. Um, you, you'd also mentioned something interesting about the prison in Israel, that the guards who are social workers were at least what you saw giving out hugs or pats on the back. And I feel like so often what I've heard from people in prisons is that you don't, you lose that sense of like nourishing or loving touch. And we forget how vital that is to us as human beings. You're, and I know you're also sort of getting interested in exploring more of what happens in in, in prisons and jails. Do you feel that they're healing, that they provide any sort of support that's actually useful? I don't think here. I mean, but I will say like, I have very little knowledge. Like I'm still learning from everything I've learned so far. Nope. It doesn't look like that. Um, In Israel, it felt like there is at least some, you know, my, my partner's dad is a social worker and he actually does therapy for free Mm -hmm. uh, in prison. Like that's what he does. And that's how he decides if someone can be released or not. It's not like he just meets them once and then decides it's actually like a really long process that um, they have like group um, counseling. They have one-on-one therapy, which I think is great. I would be so happy if they incorporated not just cognitive therapy, but more (laughs) of the stuff that I do because I think that's, you know, the real, not the real, but I think it's a compliment. It's a really important compliment to healing trauma but I, I still feel really excited that they're doing something. I mean, that they're yeah. actually, that they have a rehabilitatory process in place and it's not just like be here. Okay. Your sentence is up. Okay. Go home. And like, now what, you know, and yeah. you know, Artie's story, like Artie's really special. And mm. I think a lot of the, a lot of, and there are obviously more people like him, but they're very special because in that situation, in that extreme stress, your first thought is not, how can I become a better human? It's like, how can I survive and get out of here? Um, so it's just, it, it does not make any sense to me. Yeah. And I, I have to apologize. I didn't mean for that question to be leading. And I feel like it sort of was, but uh, yeah, I feel like at least in the United States, there aren't enough opportunities for people to truly transform or to have the healing that they need themselves. Um, and so it becomes punitive and that serves really no one, um, I, you know, but that's just my take on it. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you'd hope that whether it's in a jail or a prison anywhere in the world, or just, I feel like in your work, so not outside of, outside of carceral spaces, that there needs to be something beyond cognitive or talk therapy. Tell me about that. Oh, <laughs> not much to say. Um, you know, I started my journey from, with a really amazing therapist when I was 18, 
and she was amazing and she helped me a lot. And I feel like there was like so much left over of, I, I got out of the constant, constant, constant survival state in some ways, but then that survival state um, showed up so often. And when, what I mean is like, when you feel like you're not yourself, when you like you're not running your life, something else is running your life and it's like taking over. Maybe you feel really, really stuck or you just feel like you're triggered and you're re constantly reacting. You're constantly reacting to life rather than, you know, being in charge and um, empowered in your own life. So that's how I was living and I just had this intuition and I said, I really, really want a therapist who works in the body, but I feel like I'm making this up. Like, is there such a thing? And apparently there is. <laughs> and that's this whole field. And at that time, I was already a coach, but I was also coming from the personal development industry, which I feel is still very cognitively focused. And it's like, mm -hmm. just think positive. And I'm... Yeah you know, purposefully making this kind of sarcastic voice, because it's like, when you're triggered, when you are dysregulated in your nervous system, your prefrontal cortex, which is the logical part of your brain is off. So you cannot just think positively, it's literally impossible. And we've all had that experience when we're like, super upset, or yelling or maybe really shut down or overwhelmed you don't get out of that state through the mind you get out of it through the body mm -hmm. and so that's where like somatic and soma is the body um comes from that that work within the body to heal trauma and to also learn to regulate our nervous system and even that awareness alone oh, this is my nervous system state. How do I shift that instead of how do I shift my thoughts? Um, that has been hugely liberating for me and also for all my clients. Yeah, I, I guess I have a few questions um, based on that. The first one you mentioned that sometimes people will advise to think positively and that that can be ineffective. And also I feel like perhaps it discounts what you might actually be feeling that perhaps you've disconnected from, right? That there could be, we have to be able to embrace all of it, including the darkness in order to find some level of sustaining and even thriving. Do you, do you find that? Yes. Yes. The world of toxic positivity yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like spiritual bypassing, you know, when people are like, trust the universe. And it's like, I can't because I'm sad or I'm angry or all these emotions that we are not scared of events. Like we're not scared of death, for example. We're scared of, your, or like someone we know dying. We're scared of the feelings that we're gonna have and how we're gonna deal with it. Mm -hmm. That's actually the scary part. It's not the thing that's gonna happen. It's how we feel and how can we deal with those feelings. So yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. We have to learn to feel it in order. To, I'm going to sound so, um, <laughs> so uh, cliche, but feel it to heal it. That yeah. is very, very true. Like we have to, there's no other way. There's no shortcut. There's no bypassing this. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I perhaps, and I could be wrong. You're the expert here, but when people experience trauma, it's possible for them to dissociate from their body and therefore disconnect to their feelings. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, you're on, on point. Um, so trauma is really overwhelming and every single human being experiences trauma. So that's really important to say because some people say, oh, but I've never had trauma. And I'm like, yes, you have, because that's part of the human experience. There's no one that has never experienced trauma. Um, so when we experience trauma, it's a very helpless feeling. It, you feel very overwhelmed. You feel like there's nothing I can do. You feel helpless. So all of the emotion that comes up in that moment feels like death, right? It, it literally feels like you're trying to survive and it's super scary. And so it makes sense that we're like, I can't deal with these feelings because in that moment, you can't, you really truly can't. 
you have to take action, you have to survive, and you really do use your mind, even though it's very quick, to decide what to do when you are in a dangerous situation. So then we start to do this. We start to use the mind constantly and overthink Mm. because we feel that we're in danger and we feel that our feelings are so overwhelming to connect with because they're just going to throw us right back into the trauma and we're going to get re-traumatized. And that all makes sense. Like this is how I felt for so many years. I was literally living in my head Mm. all the time. This is going to be a big question. How do we begin to start reconnecting to our feelings? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, what I like to do with people is help them build capacity. And when we have the capacity and we feel like, oh, I can actually feel and I'll be okay, then it's not so scary and we can start to feel stuff. And it's so fascinating because I'm still like, I'm kind of going back to a lot of events in my life and just experiencing them completely differently now because I feel stuff. I'm like telling my coach, like, I feel things. I have feelings. (laughs) It's so, it's really cool. And it's really healing because that's the only way to heal that, you know, is to like actually feel it. And that's how we integrate trauma so that we can use it to, to, for wisdom, not use it for a trigger. So how that happens in my work, and there's so many somatic approaches out there. And so I encourage everyone to try all the different things to see like, what is it that you need? There's EMDR, there's, there's like a million things. Um, what, how I like to work with people it's really a process of building safety and it's really beautiful to do it with someone, whether it's a friend, your partner, a lot of healing happens even like with a secure attachment partner where like Mm -hmm. you have a really good relationship and you're like rewiring what it's like to be with another human and feel Mm -hmm. safe. But I would really recommend, you know, for anyone who feels like they tried a lot of things, usually people who come to me are people who have tried and tried and they still feel feel really stuck to really get that professional support. So building capacity to me looks like really taking the time for the person to feel safe with me and then slowly starting to talk about different events or things that are even happening in their daily life. And dipping in, so we call that titration Mm -hmm. um, in the somatic world, dipping into the emotion and then dipping out. So it would be like, oh, I feel the sadness in my chest and it feels like the color red and it feels like a lot of tension and kind of like describing that and not feeling it forever, but like Mm -hmm. staying there for a little bit until they start to, like you say, dissociate. So they start to fall asleep or they start to just drift away out of their body. And then we go to something that feels really comforting. It could be their pet, just like, you know, touching and being around their pet or even thinking about their pet or like a really comforting memory from their life or even something in the room and actually feeling that in their body and like staying with it. And I can share that when I started this work, after 10 minutes of like connecting with my body, even if it was like for something soothing, I was asleep. I was literally mm. yawning and falling asleep because I had no capacity to yeah. be in my body. I just didn't. So I had to build that over time. And it depends on the person and it depends on, you know, the history and how much work you've done with connecting to your body. But that capacity, it could take weeks it could take months for me took some years so it really depends that's so interesting you're giving words to an experience that I had that I didn't even have the language for I had worked with a healer and one of the things he kept doing when we first started working together he'd ask me how I felt about something and I'd always reply by saying I think and he would stop me and be like no I didn't ask you what you think I asked you how you feel about it and I started noticing not just with him but in all these places in my life where I was like oh my God, I'm always responding from my head. And I couldn't even locate the feelings in my body. Like, where was I feeling this? Or So 
And what has happened in that process since then is I, I use the word bandwidth in my life. I feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much more bandwidth. But you're, so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like an aha moment. It builds that capacity over time. So, that, so thank you is really what I'm trying to say there. That's so cool. I love that you had that experience yourself. And ba yeah, bandwidth capacity, like they both, they're the same, right? And it's the ability to even like, yes, we work through trauma, but like we always have new experiences of trauma or like really intense emotion and then suddenly we have the capacity to not be the the like professional word that i use is dysregulated but basically when something horrible happens let's say my life doesn't end or i don't go into shutdown and i have hibernate or i don't you know feel super anxious all the time but i'm able to like process the emotion and makes total sense that we dissociate like that's a protective mechanism of our body so even after all this work it makes sense if you if like your body's like nope not ready right now to deal with this gonna scroll on the phone watch tv whatever that's okay <laughs> and then after a little while we we start to process stuff and we're able to do it it doesn't feel so scary it feels like we can mm, yeah and you also said something about when we're able to connect to our feelings again, we can use that for wisdom, intuition, I imagine. Because if you're in this state of being dysregulated or, or disconnected, I imagine it's hard to figure out what you want because you just can't hear or listen to the whispers that are coming from your body or wherever else. Totally, totally, 100%. All of, like, everything we really need is in our body. And I remember having this experience of always being like, who's going to save me? Who's going to tell me how to do the thing? Like, okay, this coach and this person and this therapist, because I had no ability to listen to what I wanted to do. And I still have those experiences sometimes. And then I know, oh, I'm in trauma response. Mm. Oh, interesting. Like, that's what's happening right now. This is like being triggered because when I'm not in trauma response, I know everything. Like I am, because really like, and I have this experience with my clients where they're like, you tell me the answer. And I'm like, I do not live in your body. Like <laughs> you live in your body. And I, and then we find out that I would be wrong, you know, with whatever question I ask them, because you're the ultimate authority on yourself. Like that's the point of me helping you reach that answer but I cannot give you the answer obviously oh that that's brilliant and then you you establish that trust with yourself so you can walk through your life differently and not necessarily always asking people like what should I do next or like I don't know what's the answer because you can tap in so now you have these like resources for life that, oh I love that well, I love that you said resources because we actually use that word resourcing, which okay. is when you and and I was talking about this with my mom recently because she's like how do you connect with your body? And I'm like, okay, here's what I want you to do. <laughs> I coach you. This is how I start with my clients. You start with something really pleasant and it can be anything. It can be like a crystal. It can be a really nice plant, like anything that's like pleasant. But when you look at it, I'm looking at my plant here. You actually <laughs> need to feel your body. Like not just think like, oh, this is a nice plant. It's green. The leaves look good, you know? <laughs> But like, actually, oh, yeah, when I look at this plant, I feel kind of like a widening feeling in my chest, and I feel a little bit lighter. And I, I also feel like I'm more like sinking into my chair and kind of my body's relaxing. So you have to really connect to those sensations rather than think about the plant. I, even as you were talking and describing the ex, like widening experience in your chest, I was like, oh, like remember to like breathe and feel my own body. I feel like you can guide me through a meditation. And I think it was even when I was listening to your conversation with Artie, there was at one point where you'd asked him sort of to share his story and his experience in solitary confinement. And after he finished speaking, you just paused and said something like that was a lot like and took a breath. And I love that you were so tapped in to realize like, I need to breathe. I'm going to process this through my body. Cause I feel like what I've been trained to do and perhaps as women is like, I don't want to take up too much space. I don't want to take up too much time. So if someone asks me something, I'm not going to actually pause and feel this and process. I'm just going to answer right away so that I don't take up any more room than I think I should. Mm, 
Yes. And also go, go, go. Be productive. We don't have time. Right. right? We don't have time to put. And that's pretty new for me. But I, as you even just said, solitaire, it's like <gasps> my chest. I feel it right <laughs> now. Oh my God. That it, like his description was so, I'm also such an empath. So I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was there with him. Like as he was <laughs> describing it, I just felt it so much in my body. And it's so important what you're saying, because if we don't pause and we don't actually process that manifests, like people mm. don't realize, but it manifests as like physical illness and the smallness that you're talking about, keeping ourselves constantly small and constricted. When you even think of that posture, right? Keeping myself small. It's like you feel that tension in your muscles and that posture is with us like it it starts to be something in our body that also has eventually turns into physical illness like it, it's not just a small thing it's and it's all these little things and that's I always tell my clients like pay attention to how your overwhelm starts to form like you wake up in the morning and maybe your kids like a little bit annoying okay I'm at a two overwhelm now no big deal then I find out I forgot to do something that I was supposed to do. Okay, I'm now at a four. And then we build. And as we build and we get to a 10, it's pretty hard to come down. Hmm. But if we are at a two and we pause and we're like, oh, I'm already kind of getting stressed today. That's pretty easy. Like that meeting yourself in that two and actually like attuning to what you need oh maybe I just need to like breathe for a second and just like pause and clear clear myself maybe I need to like literally close my eyes for five minutes it's that simple but that's like prevention because if we get to a 10 we can get stuck at a 10 for days it's it's not very easy to come down from that Mm, that's that's very clarifying and I love the word used attuning like this alignment sensation um I guess there's also something you'd mentioned I might have heard you on like another podcast maybe and you're describing the experience of perhaps like releasing emotions or like punching a pillow and you said that rather than pummeling it and going really fast that when you're doing it to move with intention and slow movements, because otherwise, if you go fast, you're mirroring the trauma. Can you explain the connection between all of that a little bit? Yeah. When you think of those moments when you're like, this is urgent, I have to, you know, I have to do this thing, right? Like we have, we all have that anxiety all of a sudden, like I have to, I have to, I have to. That is what trauma feels like. If someone's chasing you with a gun on the street, it's urgent. You better get away. Right. But nothing else is urgent, nothing. And so I can tell you that to your mind and you're like, yeah, yeah, of course I get it. But in that moment, you don't feel like you feel that it's urgent. And that's why in those moments, I always tell myself, again, I use those words and they, they kind of, that's that they help attune when you pause and you're like, I'm in a trauma response. This is not me. This is not my logical mind. It really helps me, especially in relationships, because I can just say things and I'm like, why did I say these things? Why? We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> Someone, <laughs> stop me, please. <laughs> and I don't mean them because, again, like we are not using our logical mind in those moments. And so, um, yeah, it mirrors the trauma, but also another really important part of it is the self-connection. So I have done a million different like self-development things without any connection to my body. And it was nothing happened. Like it like in my head, it worked. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, this makes sense. I'm very aware now. But, I, but there was like no shift in my life. But then when I did the same things, but actually felt my body and like was connect, even affirmations, you know, mm -hmm. if you say affirmations and you're like, I am happy. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. It's not embodied. It's in your brain. So you have to connect your body and actually feel it and feel whatever is authentic, whatever, you know, sensation or emotion. So when we're punching a pillow and we're actually connected to our anger, if we do it slowly, we'll feel that anger start to resolve and dissipate mm -hmm. rather than 
you know, just punching and in our heads, like we feel the energy through our arms and it probably feels good, but the, the rest of our sensations in our body are still there. Like the anger is still there. We're not connected to what happened to it. We need to connect to it. Also in trauma, what gets fragmented is your sensation from your cognition. Mm. That's the fragment. So the whole work of trauma healing is, con is connecting, connecting the thoughts and the experiences um, to our sensation. Mm, that's, that's interesting. I also, I'm, I'm a yoga teacher and I noticed that on some days I'll be drawn to like a really fast power, fl power flow class, or I'll just want to like go running. And the, not that there's anything wrong with that, probably good for your body, but I'm also much more, it's because I just want to like let off steam and not really have to focus or be present where when I take a class that's slower, uh, it's not necessarily easier. In fact, you, I really have to be intentional about my body and how I feel in it and how I'm moving and I connect to it. And I feel like those are the classes that are a lot more powerful. And during which like I might have feelings or emotions arise because I'm really having to be present in the moment as opposed to just like flinging myself upside down and back up again and not really like doing acrobatics, but not really having to tune in. <laughs> so totally. I took a yin class this mm. week. It was literally, I can't wait to take it again. It was, the <sighs> best. oh my gosh. And it's so cool because I was doing yin for like a really long time by myself at home and I don't have props like I have one block but I never use it I'm just like it's okay I can use my muscles <laughs> to relax my muscles right. it's such a like it's such a smart metaphor to life because I came home and I was telling my partner like do you know what happens in this class you actually support your body with all these props so that you can stretch but you don't use force to stretch. You literally relax. Like you do nothing. And that's the point. And it's so cool because this is, I do this with my clients all the time. I'm like, I want 1000 pillows underneath you right now. <laughs> because when we're, when we're getting into the body, the idea is to be really comfortable and safe and like not use force. And to push in the same way as we push in that yin class, which is mm. like relaxation. It still feels like you're stretching, like you are stretching, which is a little uncomfortable. Like it doesn't feel like you're doing nothing, but you're not stretching to the point of using force. You're not using any force. And this is exactly what somatic work is. It's like so brilliant, but it's like literally the same thing. This is what we're doing. We are feeling emotion, which is uncomfortable and we're stretching into it, but we never use so much force that, you know, we tear a muscle or we're like really exerting force because that's where the shutdown happens, which is trauma. And we don't want to re-traumatize. So for me, like as a coach, this is the number one thing I do. I'm paying attention to the person. Are they still present? Um, what's their nervous system doing? Like, are they still with me or are they shutting down or are they, you know, falling asleep? Like whatever it may be. And that's the main thing. I, I had a client once go into a panic attack with me and I realized like we, we went too far, you know, we, right. we got it wrong, which is okay. Like she came out of it on the other side. I held her, like we didn't just leave and she felt this, you know, destabilized, but the idea is not to go too far. The idea is always to stay. It's called the window of tolerance. It's that window where we feel present with our emotion. We still feel the sadness and the anger and all these things, but we're like very present to this emotion. And you've used the word present a few times now and also sort of reading the, your clients when you're in the room with them or over Zoom, however you might be doing it. I'm wondering what this work has taught you about listening. Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like I'm learning it on a whole new level right now, mm. actually, <laughs> because I'm learning to actually feel with them. Mm. Like, so I come from this background of facilitating groups. And for a really long time, I facilitated groups of Israelis and Palestinians. Oh. And my, yeah, it was really, really cool work. But how we were taught is like, you do not exist. You are a fly on the wall. 
And that's, and I was like very much obsessed with that. Like they didn't even know, they knew nothing about me, literally nothing. And now I'm understanding that I, that's not really my direction anymore. And that's kind of when I started coaching, I was also like said nothing about myself, nothing. Mm. And I feel like now I'm learning a lot from my coach as well as just other, other experiences of how the person who's with you, you need to feel like they're with you. Like you, like you can't feel safe when you're so uncertain, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I was listening to something really fascinating about kids, like little kids. How do kids measure their safety around other people? Congruency, like when they see someone and they sense they're, they're really, really smart Mm -hmm. and they sense this person is sad, but this person's like, hi, how are you? Right? That feels so unsafe. It's like something's wrong here. And then they start escalating and freaking out. But if that person's like, I'm, I'm sad, like mommy's sad or whatever, right? I feel sad. And there's like a congruence. It feels really safe. Mm. And so I'm practicing. I mean, I've learned listening from these groups for like 10 years, sitting in circles and barely talking so that that focus i mean i'm i'm not gonna lie it's it takes a toll on you for sure like it's a lot because it's a type of listening that is like next level like you're so (laughs) i mean there can be like a fire and earthquake and i won't even notice because i'm just so focused on the client and i'm so present for them which is really cool i mean i love receiving that as well but now i found how much less exhausting it is when they're sad and I actually check in with my body and I'm like oh I feel this like we feel together we're human so I just like feel their sadness and I'll just call it out and I'll constantly like feel my body with them and I love when that's done to me because I feel like you're with me you're not just like watching me from the side and telling me how to feel and I even told my therapist it's like I don't want you to like watch me anymore. Like, I don't like it. I want you to tell me how you feel in your body so that I can feel like you're a human being and we're together. And that's like made a big difference for me, for sure. I feel like it's conspiratorial. It conspires in like to breathe together, like the root of the, the word conspire. Um, yeah, I mean, I got them from Alice Walker. So hopefully she's right. The writer, Alice Walker. <laughs> she, so her Latin derivation there, whatever it might be. Um, I actually want to read a quote of your own back to you and just uh, ask you about it because I loved it. You've said, and perhaps it was on Instagram, you said, we can't be fully alive in life if we're not able to sit with our feelings. I love that. What does it, what does it mean to be fully alive? Or just tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. yeah I feel like that aliveness has been like my thing like just how to tap into this because I was taught you know my mom even told me like in Ukraine people just feel nothing like if they're sad they're crazy and if they're happy they're crazy like if you see someone smiling and really happy they must be crazy and if they're like crying they're crazy so basically it's just like nothing and my grandma you know she's very much like that if I ask her how are you fine so I was like fine and that's why I'm like with clients I don't want to hear that word there is no fine like I need to know what's underneath there so like as humans we cannot just be happy or just feel calm like there's a range it all it's, it's a range so the goal is to learn how can I be present with my happiness and believe it or not I'm sure you will get this but like it's surprising but there are so many people that struggle with feeling happy mm-hmm. like even containing like happiness it's like you can think of happiness but can you actually feel it in your body that's like so different so aliveness to me is like being present with all of those different emotions Mm. and not going into the mind and listen I'm not perfect I'm not saying like yes I do this all the time (laughs) I if I have a really intense emotion I'll notice myself like feeling it going into my mind feeling it thinking about my groceries you know just like (laughs) so I 
we all are building our capacity. That's the goal. And like expanding, just feeling. And once we do, once we just stay with the emotion and feel it, it's like a wave. It goes up and then it comes down and then it goes away. And then there's the next emotion, you know? So um, like something I've been practicing recently is homelessness is one of those things that just like kill me like if I just see someone who's unsheltered oh my gosh like I just want to run because I just don't want to like be present to it it's so hard for me but like I've been practicing actually just letting myself feel and I just feel so so sad and then it goes away you know but if I ignore it it's still happening just because I don't connect to it it's still happening so this is like our humanity, but also the way we process and integrate things. And those are little traumas, like even seeing, just think about how crazy it is to, you're like living your life. And then suddenly you see a human being who is literally like living on the street and has a, you know, it's like so insane to even think about like how traumatizing that is for them and for you to witness, like, and we just kind of ignore it and we continue. And I think that's so harmful. Like we have to just be pre- more present to everything and just let ourselves integrate by feeling all those little moments. That's so interesting. I was in New York City last week and I was walking you know, down the street and there was an unhoused man. And I remember going, like all the things that you said, like in my mind, I'm like, do I look away? Do I look at him? Do I acknowledge him? If I smile at him, which I ended up choosing to look at him and smile, I'm like, I don't know if that's the right response, but that's like, otherwise I'm just bypassing him and I don't have to see what I'm walking past. Cause I knew by looking and acknowledging him, I had to see that I'm unseeing almost like that in my life that I have to, I'm like almost like stepping over and keep going in my life. So that's really interesting about like being present with it and how that also affects us more collectively. Um, which I guess leads me into, I guess I'll make this our, our, our last question. Um, what do you wish for us collectively in terms of our planet's healing, as our collective healing? Um, what are your hopes? I love your questions. They're so good. <laughs> um, my hopes are that people are more conscious, just meaning like, if someone triggers you, don't make it about them because it's a hundred percent about you. Yes, <laughs> they may have pissed you off. They may have done something frustrating, but if someone triggers you inside and you feel like you get thrown off your, you know, normal self um, and you're feeling all these things, like go in there and just explore because you're going to find a lot of fascinating things. Let me tell you from personal <laughs> experience. Um, and I feel like that's the most amazing way of like taking responsibility for our life. And just imagining all these people like Trump and Biden and everyone who's like leading us doing this. I mean, the world would be so different and it's about personal work. Like start with yourself, start with actually connecting to what's happening for you in your body and exploring like, oh, this person said this thing and I wanted to punch them in the face. What's coming up for me right now? Like, (laughs) where is this coming from? That's way more interesting than what that person said to you. It's much more interesting and I believe that that is really going to lead to a lot a lot of healing and that's you know coming back to the point of what you said about like sexual offenders like I mean this might trigger people but to me it's much more interesting what happens to survivors and how we move through that you know that's our piece like if we're always focused on that person and what they did to us mm-hmm. Um, and of course we're going to have emotion towards them and we should feel all of that emotion and not bypass it. But like, how does that affect me? And that person who did that thing, that's their work to do. And that's their trauma also to deal with. And you know, what's so fascinating. I have to share this because this just came up for me. 
the woman who started the restorative justice program, one of the things that in Israel, one of the things that she told me that I'll never forget was like, just so you know, he lives with trauma too from what he did. And I was like, what? Like, I never thought of that, you know? And she's like, oh yeah. And he has nightmares from that. And I was like, wow. Like, I never, like, mm-hmm. it took some years for that to sink in, but I know mm-hmm. that it's true. So, yeah. <laughs> Once again, I feel like that's really clarifying. And I'm going to use one of my favorite words, curious. I feel like you're inviting people to get curious about why they're triggered, what they're feeling, they're inviting in a deeper conversation rather than just reacting or blaming or pointing fingers or whatever that might be. Um, yeah, you've just felt like I'm like shaking up my body now for people who can't see. I feel like very, um, I don't know if it's a weird word to use refreshing for this conversation because we were talking about trauma, but I feel like because you show up very present that I was able to be present with myself too. And that's a very freeing feeling. So I'm really grateful for, I feel like I'm supposed to be holding space for you, but for the space that you held for me too, um, and that we got to co-create this. Yeah, I'm feeling grateful for your energy and your presence. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful. I loved it. Uh, yeah, well, we'll definitely have to do this again. We got to explore that conversation, the conversations between Israelis and Palestinians too, but that we'll save that for another day. Um, thank you. Thank you. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws, to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them in, talk up their body, another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game so they stay on their toes, stay in your lane, I to stay on the go. I came to play with the pros and act like a rookie, so they overlook me, then not double up again, none of their nose, none of them cold. They just got lucky, but never adapted, so I'm to the one if it's coming to blows, my enemies cutting it close. I let them think that they got me, but what do you know? I had them beat before we ever spoke, I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything, who and the what and the where, I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost.